So today's podcast is on an important topic, anaphylaxis. So we'll talk about what anaphylaxis is, we'll talk about what causes anaphylaxis and we'll talk about the treatment. I'll signpost you to the um, Resuscitation Council's guidelines on anaphylaxis um, and I'll put some pictures of it in the accompanying PowerPoint. That's a very important thing when you've got the time to have a look at. So what is anaphylaxis? Well, the definition I'd like to propose is that it's an acute, potentially fatal, systemic allergic reaction. And the important thing is about this is there are different mechanisms and different presentations depending on lots of different factors. So anaphylaxis by definition is the most severe form of an allergic reaction. It is rapid in onset and can be potentially fatal. The prevalence of anaphylaxis is as high as 2%. The fatality rate is incredibly low, less than 0.0001%. Okay? And less than 0.5 in those hospitalised or presenting to A&E with anaphylaxis. Anaphylaxis as a presenting complaint is becoming more common and the risk of death is decreasing. And why is that? Predominantly because of having established guidelines courtesy of the Resuscitation Council and increasing awareness and provision of EpiPens. We need to promptly recognise and treat this condition in order to prevent mortality. What causes anaphylaxis? So most cases of anaphylaxis are triggered through an immunological reaction involving immunoglobulin E or IgE. So immunoglobulin E leads to mast cell and basophil activation. And what do we know about mast cells and basophils? They both produce histamine. So if you're ever in an exam and it asks you about the cells that produce histamine, think mast cell, and if mast cell isn't an answer, basophil. We also get release of platelet activating factor, is a second thing, leukotrienes, tryptase, and prostaglandins. And indeed, indeed, one of the ways that you can check if someone's had a trianaphylactic reaction is to measure their mast cell trip days. Although any substance theoretically can cause anaphylaxis, the most common cause of IgE-mediated anaphylaxis are foods. You're looking peanuts, tree nuts, shellfish, cow's milk, eggs and wheat, and medications, most commonly penicillin and other antibiotics, and stinging insects. Okay? So that's what we need to say. So those are the most common things. So think foodstuffs, think medications and think stinging insects. Exercise, aspirin, NSAIDs, opiates and radio contrast agents can cause anaphylaxis. But anaphylactic reactions to these are often non-IgE mediated. 
In other cases, the cause of anaphylaxis is unknown. So this is your idiopathic anaphylaxis. In children, anaphylaxis is most often caused by foods. And in adults, it's most likely drug or venom induced. So that's kind of a brief overview. Causes of anaphylaxis. So common causes of anaphylaxis, food, medications, insect stings, and allergens, okay? Less common, exercise, natural rubber latex, semen, hormonal changes, topical medications such as chlorhexidine and transfusions. Okay, comorbidities and medications may affect the severity of anaphylactic reactions and indeed the patient's response to the treatment that we give them. Patients with asthma and cardiovascular disease are more likely to have a poor outcome with anaphylaxis. If you give someone a beta blocker, okay, so concurrent administration of beta blockers interfere with the patient's ability to respond to adrenaline. Sometimes as well, the use of ACE inhibitors may impact the patient's compensatory response to anaphylaxis, okay? Recent evidence, the concurrent use of any antihypertensive medication may affect or worsen the anaphylactic reaction. Signs and symptoms. So skin, you can get urticaria, angioedema, erythema, pruritus and eczema. Again, I'll put some pictures of this in the PowerPoint. Respiratory-wise, we'll split this into upper airway and lower airway. Upper airway, nasal congestion, sneezing, hoarseness, cough and laryngeal edema. Lower airway, dyspnea, cough, bronchospasm, wheezing and chest tightness. Cardiovascular, hypotension, dizziness, syncope and tachycardia. Gastrointestinal, everyone forgets the gastrointestinal features of anaphylaxis. Nausea, vomiting, abdominal pain and diarrhoea, pretty non-specific. Neurological, lightheadedness, dizziness and confusion. And then oropharyngeal is your angioedema and other things, the sense of impending doom, or I think in Latin, angor animi, A-N-G-O-R, A-N, I-M-I. So an impending feeling of doom can be in itself a symptom of anaphylaxis. The signs and symptoms of anaphylaxis typically develop within minutes after exposure to the offending antigen, whatever's caused it, but may occasionally occur as late as one hour afterwards. Okay. Up to 15% of anaphylactic reactions follow a biphasic course, meaning you have an asymptomatic period of a few hours. Okay sometimes as long as 10 hours with recurrence of symptoms. So remember the biphasic presentation of anaphylaxis that certain patients can have. Okay, the history is the most important thing. So looking at um, the symptoms and looking if there's any trigger. What is the clinical criteria for diagnosing anaphylaxis? So here are some important things. 
you need to have an acute onset of an illness, minutes to several hours, with involvement of the skin, mucosal tissue, or both. For example, generalised hives, pruritus, or flushing, swollen lips or tongue, and at least one of the following. Respiratory compromise, for example, shortness of breath, wheeze, bronchospasm, or stridor. Reduced blood pressure, so that could be syncope, incontinence, hypotonia, okay, or symptoms associated with a low blood pressure. So if the blood pressure is objectively low or the symptoms are associated with a low blood pressure, for example, syncope, incontinence or hypotonia, they all count. Two or more of the following that occur rapidly after exposure to a likely allergen, okay, is criteria number two. So we'll go through again. Criteria number one, acute onset of an illness with involvement of the skin, mucosal tissue or both and at least one of the following either respiratory compromise or reduced blood pressure or a manifestation of reduced blood pressure criteria number two two or more of the following that occur rapidly after exposure to a likely allergen so that has to be a involvement of the skin mucosal tissue b respiratory compromise c reduced blood pressure or d persistent gi symptoms okay if someone had exposure to a likely allergen and had persistent GI symptoms, so vomiting, painful abdominal cramps and generalised hives, they would fulfil the criteria of anaphylaxis. Criteria number three, reduced blood pressure after exposure to a known allergen for that patient. Nut allergy, exposure to a nut allergy is criteria number three. So in infants and low children, that is a low systolic blood pressure, okay? Or in adults, low systolic blood pressure, in adults we talk about less than 90, to a known trigger, to a known allergen, low blood pressure is anaphylaxis. Diagnostic tests. So you can do skin tests, you can do IgE tests, etc. The clinical diagnosis of anaphylaxis can sometimes be supported by elevation in mast cell tryptase or plasma histamine levels. You need to have these measurements done as soon as possible after onset of symptoms. The most common causes of conditions that mimic anaphylaxis are vasovagal reactions. So if you think about it, characteristic vasovagal reaction can give you hypotension, pallor, bradycardia, nausea and vomiting. So these patients would have um, symptoms of reduced blood pressure and persistent GIC symptoms. So under criteria two of the anaphylaxis criteria, they would score enough points to have a diagnosis of anaphylaxis. Also vocal cord dysfunction, acute asthma, foreign body aspiration, pulmonary embolism or acute anxiety are other things that can cause it. Hypoglycemia is something to be aware of as well. So treatment. Rapid assessment of circulation and breathing, followed by immediate administration of adrenaline. Anyone who has got suspected anaphylaxis has the adrenaline intramuscularly. So the recommended dose for adrenaline for anaphylaxis is 0 0.01 mil, uh, milligram per kilogram. And it can be given every 5 to 15 minutes into the anterolateral thigh. Um, why do we use the thigh? It allows for more rapid absorption and higher plasma adrenaline levels compared to subcutaneous or upper arm 
um, administration. Glucagon should be considered in patients who are using beta blockers. They essentially come to hospital. Ideally, patients should be placed in a supine position, okay? And this helps counteract circulatory collapse. Pregnant patients should be placed on their left-hand side, okay? Once supine, patients should not be allowed to sit up until fully stabilised. So they talk about empty ventricle syndrome, okay? In this condition because of the circulatory collapse. So that's really important. And again, I make reference to the Resuscitation Council guidelines on um, how to manage these patient anaphylaxis. Really good flow charts. So other things, antihistamines um, and other things like that, salbutamol, etc., can be used as well. But you'll basically want to do intramuscular adrenaline. Oxygen therapy can be considered. Um, intravenous fluids should be provided as well a fluid challenge because you get these big um, fluid shifts because of the increased vascular permeability secondary to the histamine release volume replacement is important and rarely patients need vasopressors you can give steroids but these have a slow onset of action so by all means give them but they're not going to kick in and work for a while there is no evidence that giving corticosteroids prevents the biphasic reaction, so it doesn't necessarily have a preventative role in the second peak. We should observe patients because they're at risk of this biphasic reaction, okay, which is really important. And also we can consider cardiac monitoring as well um, because of the effects of adrenaline on the, on the heart. We would... Prescribe patients an EpiPen and education of what to look out for in the future. Okay. One thing that people don't tend to understand is you can support um, with salbutamol, antihistamines, corticosteroids, etc. Fluid challenge is really important and really important to avoid things that may have triggered it if we can find an obvious trigger. Remember that the intramuscular adrenaline can be repeated every 5 to 15 minutes. And again, it's more important to give it than not to give it. Okay. So, take home messages. Anaphylaxis is the most severe form of an allergic reaction that is rapid in onset and potentially fatal. Prompt recognition and treatment are critical to managing anaphylaxis. The most common clinical manifestations are cutaneous, urticaria, angioedema, erythema, pruritus. Referral to an allergy specialist or immunologist should be considered for all patients who have experienced an anaphylactic episode. Adrenaline is the drug of choice for anaphylaxis and should be given immediately, even if the diagnosis is, is uncertain. Intramuscularly, anterolateral thigh is recommended. There are no absolute contraindications to the use of adrenaline, so if in doubt, give. Up to 15% of anaphylaxis cases will have a biphasic response with a second wave that some studies say has a mean onset from 10 hours after the original. 
The mainstays of long-term treatment and preventing this happening again include specialist assessment, avoidance measures, the provision of an EpiPen and an individualised um, action plan for that particular patient. So in conclusion, this has been a podcast on anaphylaxis.